I have this one mic that it's picking up the um, kick drum and snare drums. I have it over the kick drum. The diaphragm is pointing at the side of the snare and it's like hanging right above the kick drum. And so honestly, I used that mic on the newest Soul Live album. And that was the only mic that I used on the, on the drums, like one microphone. Welcome to Recording Studio Rockstars. I'm Lid Shaw, and this is the podcast created to help you become a rock star of the recording studio. This episode is sponsored by OWC, Other World Computing, which you can find at OWC.com, your trusted source for memory and speed upgrades, DIY installs, and use Macs for your studio. Let OWC focus on keeping your studio Mac in killer condition so that you can focus on making great music. Why ditch your existing Mac when you can take your studio far into the future with OWC? Learn more at OWC.com and learn how you can supercharge your studio Mac. The speed to create, the capacity to dream. Find out how awesome your Mac can be at OWC. This show is sponsored by Recording Studio Rockstars Academy, where you can go to take your recording, mixing, and mastering to the next level. And you can start right now with my free introduction to mixing course, Mix Master Bundle. This course will show you how to get pro-sounding mixes from your home studio with free and stock plugins and Pro Tools. And the best part is that these mixing techniques will work for you in any DAW, whether you are in Logic, Cubase, PreSonus Studio One, Reaper, or anything you can think of. Are you ready to make your best record ever? Then go to Mix masterbundle.com to get started for free now or look for the clickable link in the show notes of this episode hey rock stars it's your host lid sean welcome to recording studio rock stars bringing you into the studio to learn from recording professionals so that you can make your best record ever and be a rock star of the studio yourself my guest today is Alan Evans, a multi-instrumentalist, singer-songwriter, studio engineer, record producer, whose retro style incorporates elements of rock, blues, soul, R&B, funk, jazz, reggae, and the psychedelic. In addition to singing lead and background vocals, Alan often plays guitar, bass, drums, keyboards, and percussion on his solo recordings, as well as for other artists. Alan is also a founding member of the band Soul Live, who has toured the world for the past 20 years. In that time, Soul Live has toured with the Rolling Stones, the Dave Matthews Band, the Roots, Charles Bradley, John Schofield, Derek Trucks, Chris Robinson, and many more. And these days, Alan spends the majority of his time recording, mixing, and producing bands from around the world at his own Iron Wax Studios in Massachusetts. It turns out that I already knew Alan from decades ago when the band Grover that I was touring with in North Carolina opened for Alan's band Moonboot Lover back in the 90s. In fact, I remember totally loving Moonboot Lover back then and thought I had forever lost track of that super cool band that I saw till Alan recently reconnected with me, reaching out through email. Listening to Alan's work at Ironwax Studios just blew me away checking out this material, and I had to ask myself why, once again why I ever left Boston in search of music when the coolest stuff was happening right there where I grew up. So I'm psyched to find out how Alan is making such incredible sounding records at Iron Wax Studios today. Please welcome Alan Evans to Recording Studio Rockstars. 
Alan, my man, are you ready to rock? Ooh, like Bon Scott. Let's do nice, it. Nice, dude. <laughs> or at least get funky, you know? <laughs> yeah, I can do that too. So um, tell us a little bit more about who you are and kind of give us an introduction in your own words uh, briefly to just, you know, where you are in the world and, and what you, how you got into this stuff. Oh, cool. Well, I am in uh, living in Western Mass, uh, Deerfield, Massachusetts, to be exact. Dig it. Um, but I've been here for almost, yeah, almost 20 years. Um, but prior to that, I, well, I grew up in Buffalo, New York, and, and, uh, lived in Brooklyn for a while, San Diego, Woodstock, New York. That was a big part of my life. Ah, um, I was in Woodstock too yeah, when I was a, a little kid. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah we Man, had a log cabin. Yeah. We, I, I grew up in Brooklyn too. And so we used to drive up to Woodstock for the weekends for like, yeah, know, like man. five years of my life or something. Yeah, exactly. It's, I mean, it's beautiful there. Small community, and yeah, everyone knows each other, and it's great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I've I've just been uh, just playing music re- literally my entire life. I I think I started. My mom says I started playing drums when I was like nine months old. Yeah, and I started playing guitar when I was about eleven, and I've just been. And music has just been a part of my life, my entire life. I I mean, it's like. Um, it's easier for me to play music than it is to speak because I guess I was probably, you know what I'm saying? I was probably playing music before I was able to really speak. So that's true, man. That's my first language. And I don't think I mentioned drums mm-hmm. in your intro, but I mean, you know, first I think of you as just an incredible drummer. Oh, thank you, man. Yeah. I mean, I guess, yeah, most, most people know, or a lot of people know me as, you know, as a drummer, obviously with Soul Live and Moon Boot and things like that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So, so that's the show. So again, it was such a trip to discover um, rock stars. I'll, I'll give a little transparency. So Alan reached out to me. I checked out this music and um, I was blown away by it. And then we started talking and then I went and looked through his discography and, and, and down there on your list, sort of near the bottom, it said like you had recorded Moonboot Lover because you know, it was chronological. And, and I was like, no way you recorded Moonboot Lover. And then you're like, that was your band. <laughs> yeah, it was a long, a long time ago, man. That's that a life. That's a whole different life. You who, know? who are some of the like, other cats in that? I seem to remember a really great guitar player too. Yeah, so that was uh, Peter Prince, who was uh, you know lead guitar and, and singer, and uh, we definitely um, over the year. My brother Neil was in the last. Well, was in an early incarnation of the band, and then the very last incarnation of the band, which I was a part of. And then we both kind of split at the same time, but. I mean, man, we we did the spinal we did the spinal tap thing with bass players. I mean, <laughs> we probably went through over the years close to twenty bass players. Wow, what uh, is your and yeah, now your of, brother is also in Soul Live with you, and right exactly. And, yeah, and yeah. what is his instrument? Uh, his main. main right. hmm, You're like all like of me. them. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, mostly keys, and ne- and Neil's really known for his left hand bass. So in Soul Live, uh, we're a trio: we're uh, guitar, keys, and drums. And then we often have like you know guest singers or horns or things like that. Um, but yeah, so that's honestly Neil. The funny thing is, there's a uh, with Neil. I mean, he's just and he plays drums. He's an incredible drummer. Um, but uh, I remember early on in the Moonboot days, honestly, before we were, we used to be called The Groove back in Buffalo, New York. Uh, and Neil was about... You guys picked a good uh, name after that. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, trust me, yeah, definitely. And, and plus, <laughs> it, and not many of us can say in a sentence, back in the Moonboot days. 
<laughs> Not exactly. Yeah, these days, no one, no one knows what what, what we're talking about. <laughs> well, you know, but um, anyway. So back in the day, Neil Neil must have been about eleven or twelve at the time, and uh, we had this. It was the four of us. We had a bass player, Peter, myself, Neil, and we had this gig in Buffalo, it was totally sold out. And Pete said, oh, man, I got to go pick up the bass player from college. He was at the school down down the road. So we're hanging out. Place is just filling up. It's nuts. My parents are there. Every, everybody was this, this big club, too. Pete shows up and he says, um, yeah, whatever the bass player's name was. I don't remember. He's he's not here. He's not coming. And we're looking like oh, Pete's just messing with us, man. So we, Neil and I walk outside into the parking lot looking around for the cat. He's not there. He literally quit the band that night. <laughs> um, so Neil, that was the first time that Neil, like he just took over. He like played bass, left hand bass, keys. And after that, it was, it was, it was over with. I mean, now with, with that said, Neil always kind of been doing that a little bit at home. You know, he, he, that's just kind of the way he he's hears like, things, you know, like he, more spinal tap reference. He's like, yeah, I got two ends. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And and from then on it was just like, well, we don't need a bass player. And um and yeah, and that just kind of set Neil off on on his path. That's a trip, so, man. Yeah. Well, um, all right, cool. So Moon Boot Lover um was sort of the nineties into two thousands or not? Uh well, Neil and I split in ninety six. So okay, um yeah, yeah. And then I spent a, a short time with the Grey Boy All-Stars out in San Diego around 98 or, yeah, 98. And then Soul Life started in 99. Okay, so, cool, you know. cool. Um, well, fast forward to now, you have this amazing studio. Um, I, I mostly know the sound of it, just listening on your website. It just sounds like, I'm just like, I, I want to make records that sound like that. So tell <laughs> us about Iron Wax Studios. Man, iron, so Iron Wax, is, I've had that in this particular um, space for, I guess, three, almost three or four years now. And uh, for a while, I was actually, I had a lot, much larger studio um, in the area years ago. And then I, interestingly enough, I was so busy, I, I closed it um, because I was working on so much music that was, wasn't mine. Like I'd be on the I did a couple of soul live albums there and then we'd be touring and then people would come into the studio and I just I got this feeling like oh man I just gotta work on my own music. Yeah. So um so I moved home, built a studio at home. And that was cool for a while. And then uh, and then my brother and I have a, a group with O'Teal Burbridge, oh, who's cool. a bass player. Yeah. I know, I've seen O'Teal uh, down his, here. Yeah, with uh, yeah, Colonel yeah, Bruce. And, yeah, exactly. So now he's with the uh, Dead and Company, and then uh, and then Kofi, his brother, who plays with Derek Trucks, uh, Derek and Susan's band. Mm -hmm. So we have a, a band, and we were going to do some recording. And one, literally, man, one day I was sitting around, I was like, "Yeah, I don't want to do this at home." And went on Craigslist and start and found like this building, and moved in. And and like I'm I'm serious, man. Like the session was probably maybe like a week or week and a half. And I moved everything into this building. I was wiring it up as those cats were like driving up to the spot. Awesome. 
Yeah, yeah, but that's that's uh, that's just kind of how I do things. Not usually the smartest thing, but just dive in. And so anyway, so I've been there ever since, and I re- I really love it, man. It's a it's a it's my kind of vibe. It's one room, uh, like no control room that's, kind of vibe. That's what I was going to ask you about. Uh, um, I think it was um, oh shoot, I'm I'm looking through my notes here. Uh, maybe it was the Go On Love Live at Color Red Studios was also looked like a one room vibe. But actually, that spot they do they they actually have a that is a mm, they have a, a control room kind of off to the side where they have like a three eighty eight kind of it's a very small it's like a, a closet kind of s- size room but um, yeah my my spot is just one one room and and uh, and honestly like most of my studios have always been like that just because it's a lot easier for me to move around yeah. Because uh, a lot of times I'm just cutting stuff by myself. So, hey, if I don't have to walk through a couple of doors and, and all that, it just saves time. And then on, on the other side of being, uh, I, I guess, on the other side of the glass, you, you know, say when I'm recording or, or producing or whatever, I just love being in the room with with people. Yeah. As I, I just the, you can feel it. Um, and, and I, I've got it dialed. I've, I've, I've been doing it for years, so I've got, I, I've got it down. So. Well, uh, so, works so a couple of thoughts on that. Um, I remember Roger Mutino, who's been on the show before, um, he once told me years ago, he, he was talking about a studio space. I think I was talking about building my own and he was like, mm-hmm. yeah, are you going to do the one room or, you know, like a writing room? And I was like, a writing room, huh? And that's where it hit me, you know, like when you're going to, compose and create in your own studio, then there's a great benefit to not having isolation and not having control rooms. Because like you said, you want to be able to reach over and grab the knobs on the gear and then turn right. around and grab the knob on your amp at the same time. Um, exactly. Whereas, you know, if you're going to do a studio where you're, you want to con- record other bands and have ice, you know, really hear it come, the kick drum come out of the speakers and then go move the mic, then you do want all that isolation. Right, right, right. Exactly. I mean, the the one benefit that I've noticed um, is that when bands come in and we're all in in this room together, um, and I've had you know like ten piece bands in there, and and after everyone's kind of tracked, and there may be one person who's like laying a solo down or or cutting a vocal, and the entire band is usually in the room hanging out. And it's a lot different than having the band on the other side of the glass, um, checking Facebook or Instagram or just yeah. kind of hanging out and having conversations when everybody's in the room, say when a soloist is, is laying some down or the vocalist or whatever, percussion, whatever, everyone is engaged. Everyone's quiet if, if need be, um, but they're quiet, they're engaged and there's uh, this immediate feedback that happens and uh it's just it's just a, this feeling of um community i guess mm-hmm. or just just everyone's a part of the entire process and uh and it, yeah it just it like i said it just works for me and it works for the room uh it's not everybody's thing um and of course i, I go to other studios where um i'm in a control room and and then everyone you know of course the grass is greener on the other side mm-hmm. always you're like, oh man, this is kind of nice. I can just kick back and I can really, but you know, it is what it is. Well, you know, the first thoughts that come to me, come to mind for me are um, some of the rock recordings that I've done where, 
you're really going for kind of a big produced sound or something, or you need big room mics on drums. I, f- I find in those cases, if you're sort of really looking at adding where you've got a click track on a song and you're trying to like mm. get things just right, then having that isolation can be great because you're kind of, it's sort of you versus the computer. Whereas when you want people to play together, um, having people near each other in the same space is just, there's a, it's almost like you you ignore all these other things that are distractions, you know, and you just focus on the feeling of what you're doing. Exactly. Magic yeah, comes but- out, you know. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree with you. So I was just recording my um, songs in my studio recently with a drummer and a bass player, both of whom I love a lot. And I put myself in the control room because I needed to control some stuff and I wanted to have my vocal mic isolated from the drums. Um, and I and the drummer and the bass player were out, out in the other room. And I realized after we did it, um, as I was listening back to the music and finding things that I liked about it and some of the things that I thought were oversights, that one of the oversights is that um, because the bass player, for example, because she couldn't see my hand strumming the guitar, she didn't, you know, mm-hmm. I just assumed she sort of, you know, when you know the song, you just kind of can assume that everybody else gets it. Yeah, yeah of course. But when you're playing in the same room like that, you have this, you can see what everybody's physically doing, you know? Exactly. And that and that definitely helps with like dynamics and in the movement of 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 that particular song. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I mean, I, I've, like I said, I've, I've made records. Well, we both have, uh, you know, both ways or all different kinds of ways, you know, different methods. And yeah, there's just something about just people in a room together. Uh, I don't know. It's it's it like you said. It's just it can be magical. Yeah. When it when it really clicks. Well, yeah. thinking about it, it's like the the sound of it all is what we end up with as a recording, but it's it's all these things that don't have to do with sound that we forget are super super important. Like just what somebody seeing somebody else's body movement in the studio while they're playing. You yeah. Know? Um. So you just talked about like we've recorded all these different ways, and it makes me want to ask you the question. What are some ways that you haven't recorded yet that you're excited to try out next? Hmm. Anything come to mind? The, yeah, you know, the the next thing that I really want to do is um, like record a orchestra. Cool. I mean, that's, yeah. I mean, well, honestly, well, before that, I've, I've for years, I've wanted to write something for an, uh, an orchestra. Um, but then... So I, I have to work on that still, but, um, but yeah, that's one thing I, I really wanted to do for a very long time is, is, uh, you know, it, I think like the bigger, it, I, I, I just love going to like the symphony and it's just such a, it's so, it's just so massive. And and uh, I obviously love listening to uh, old older uh, symphonic recordings and even newer stuff is great yeah. as well. But to be a part of that, that's that's like my next. That's like the next thing on my on my list that I would love to what do. What do you think? Does Boston have a good symphony? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, not too shabby, not too shabby. Um, and then I, I'm trying to remember the name of it. Um, what is the? Uh, it's not Candlewood, is it? What's the place? Oh, Tang- Tanglewood. Tang- Tanglewood. Tanglewood. Yeah, yeah, is that exactly. out near you? 
Yeah, that's a little further uh, further west, but very yeah, very close. Yeah, definitely close. And that's the summer performance location for the Boston Symphony it, Orchestra. Exactly. And then, uh, you know, James Taylor uh, is a, kind of a staple there. Does a, sh- you know, um, and then who else? Um, yeah, James Taylor, the, you know, the Boston, the Pops, yep. Yep. Kind, the whole the vibe there. Yeah. Arthur yeah. Fiedler, yeah, so. I remember him. Yeah, man. I, dude, I, yeah, I grew up on a lot of those records, man. I still have some. So, so yeah. when you think about doing an orchestral thing, does it, is there a sort of a pairing of your soul background with what the orchestral composition is in your head or, or uh, something just totally sort of classical traditional? Well, I'm, to be honest, it would be more, the one thing I've been trying to figure out for years, and I, I just need to sit down and, and just do some homework, but it would be more of like a Quincy Jones approach. Um, and especially after watching the, the, his documentary, um, oh, yeah. his, his, uh, his sense of Quincy Jones's harmony, there, there's just nothing, I've n- never heard anybody it, there's just something you always know it's Quincy Jones mm-hmm. just always no matter what style of music there's just like these his harmonies are just incredible and I've really wanted to sit down and 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 figure that out so it would be more yeah I guess maybe coming from a soul soul thing but um just yeah to utilize a, a orchestra a symphony would be just it would is literally just a dream of mine. So. Um, are you somebody who's schooled and being able to write out music and compose on no. paper? No, no, no. So that's that would probably part of be, the homework. Uh, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, part of the homework, or or you know, I think, or maybe bringing in you know someone to help out, like my brother, perhaps, perhaps mm-hmm. if he's not too busy, or or just you know finding someone who really can. Uh, I could work with, collaborate with on on that. Um, it would be a lot of fun. So, so, or just take the time and and just learn myself. Um, so. Just for some of the rock stars who are listening now, who maybe don't know who Quincy Jones is, who are some of the artists that just top of mind for you that he's worked with and and stuff they might be familiar with. Well, uh, Michael Jackson, obviously. I mean, you have Thriller, Off the Wall, or. Uh, and then you have Frank Sinatra, um, did a, a Ray Charles. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's 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 kind of hard to even. I'll how just do you stop even, there. How do you even list stuff? Well, I also remember that he was um, integral in a lot of the sound of uh, '70s television theme songs and stuff like that too. Oh, are you? Yeah, without a doubt. Without, I mean, like his the his film score work alone is just is staggering. Um, and then, uh, again, this pop, you know, pop music and, uh, jazz. I mean, he, he just, he's done everything. Um, and then this, the documentary, I haven't seen it yet, but is that something that we can just find on Netflix? Do you think? Without a doubt, Lidge, it is, it'll, it'll blow your mind. All right, cool. It will blow your awesome. mind. Yep. All right. There you go. Rock stars. Go check that out. Um, all right, so I like to ask our guests to kick off the podcast with an inspirational quote. You got anything in mind to get us psyched to hit the studio? Yeah, I think I do. Um, all right, here we go. Uh, knowing is not enough, we must apply. Willing is not enough, we must do. I like that, man. Bruce Lee. That's Bruce Lee. Yeah. I love it. I'm trying to remember yeah. if somebody else has done a Bruce Lee quote on the podcast. 
They have. They have. Yeah. And I'm trying to remember who. Um, but I know they well, have. Yeah. Well, thank you to whoever it was. Thank you. Um, <laughs> no, it's, it's definitely got a um, a Yoda vibe to it, too, doesn't it? It does, man. It does. I mean, uh, Bruce Bruce Lee's just a super deep cat, you know. Um, and, uh, and yeah, that's just one that just resonates resonates with me. All right. Me. So mm-hmm. knowing is not enough. We have to apply. And what was the second half again? Willing is not enough. We must do. Okay. Awesome. Um, and what does all that mean to you when you think about making records? Well, um, okay. So. This actually, these days, it, it, it's probably more important than than ever. You can sit around and and there's, it's great these days. You can sit around at at night or during the day and YouTube any any technique or learn about any plugin or microphone or whatever. Um, but at some point, you have to get off your butt and just and go for it. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's, that's really what it comes down to for me. I'm, I've, I've never been, I, I just like to dive in, I guess that's just, I'm a, a full on Aries. So I, I usually don't really think too much about, uh, consequences or whatever, <laughs> which is, it could be a good or bad thing, but, um, nice. yeah, it, it's just like, and then like the willing is not enough. You must do again. It's just like, you can sit around and talk about what you, you, you want to do or what you're planning on doing. Just do it. Yeah, like um, you putting Iron Wax yeah. Studios together in a week and tracking the record. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, what were some of the things that went into uh, putting the studio together? So you talked about wiring it up. It's all in one room. Um, you know, how how do you lay out your studio in that one room? Um, I mean, it's it almost um, did it. It did it by itself in a way. I mean, honestly, it's it, so it's a small space. It's 500 square feet. It is not. It is not big. Cool. Um, I probably I, I set it up for tracking. I, I didn't set it up for mixing. Um, in terms of so, if you walked in, said uh, it's not set up uh, with the, the the mixing situation like in the first third of the length of the long you know, the horizontal part of the room or what I, you know what I'm yeah, saying, man. Yeah. It, I, I just set it up so it was comfortable for people. And it's actually, I've changed, changed it a little bit over, over the, over the years, uh, make it a little bit more comfortable. But, uh, I just walked in, I clapped my hands. I said, this sounds pretty good. And there's some, you know, a little like flutter echoes and things going on. So, but I had a bunch of panels from my old spot and, um, I just, I just I just went for it, just set everything up and hit record and just prayed for the best. <laughs> <laughs> it probably helped that you showed up with a bunch of stuff so you could just start filling it up because an empty room feels awfully like an empty room until you start putting yeah. things in there, right? Exa- exactly. And and I've I've been doing this long enough that I can I can walk into an empty room and I, I know what it will it it will sound like. Mm-hmm. Um I can I, um, for the most part. And I, I lucked out. I mean, it has really high ceilings, which, which helps. Yeah. And, uh, and it has a couple of odd, oddly shaped, um, walls in there. Um, cause the cat who was in there before me was building custom motorcycles. Oh, cool. So it's, it, so it's on the first floor and then it's right. I mean, there's one door 
to get in the entire building and then another door to get him to my spot. But the door, he put this massive door on this angle so so he could just roll motorcycles in and out really easily. So, so good for loading. It was, it was, oh, are you kidding me? It's, yeah, it's the best. Yeah, it's great. It's great. Um, so what's, what's the, uh, are we talking about like concrete walls, wood walls, drywall? There's there's um, drywall, um, which, you know, if it, it, it works for whatever reason. And then there's like these, a couple of pillars in the room. Um, so there's some, and then, like I said, I put panels on the, on some panels on the wall. Mm-hmm. There's actually, I threw carpet on the floor, which is kind of, um, because the floor was, was super, it was crushed from like m- building motorcycles. Yeah, was a wooden um, floor or uh, something else? Well, it was a wooden, yeah, it was a wooden floor underneath. And then it was like the kind of like this linoleum kind of vibe. So the the thing is it, I mean, the floor actually looked pretty cool. Like when you walk, when I walked into the room, I just knew immediately, I just had this feeling. He had a couple other rooms. The, the guy who runs the building had a couple other rooms he wanted me to check out. But I walked into this room and it was like immediately, I was like, oh, some stuff's going down in here. It had like this vibe of like the the studios from like the 50s cool. kind of, you know, like, or like that cat who was, I can't remember his name, who's like over in the UK, who has like this old, super old school vibe studio. And you like look at the photos and it's just, it literally looks like something out of like Memphis in the 50s, you know, it's like. Oh, yeah. Not, um, um, uh, Toe. Um, yes, Rag exactly, yeah. exactly, exactly. It has like that kind of vibe where it's like, it does not look like a studio, but, or, 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 or by today's standards, I guess you would no, say. I like the look of old school studios so much better than it. Yeah, than man. I, I love it, man. So that's kind of the vibe. And I'm like right on this river. Oh, cool. And so, yeah, man. And then, and so I had like the whole muscle shoals kind of you know vibe talking to me in the background like man there's just and and it's true there's just something about being close to moving water it's just it's of yeah there's something about that vibe well, massachusetts has got a lot of cool mill town vibes to it you know there's a lot of mill buildings and old brick exactly and, and that's what and that's exactly what this is it's a massive old brick mill building that's cool um all right, yeah. so um, you're in the room. It's 500 square feet, so that's bigger than a, a living room, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And then the ceiling is tall. Is it sort of a flat ceiling, or is it a big vaulted open thing with, with uh, you know, um, joists and metal beams exposed and that sort of vibe? No, just a flat ceiling with, like, acoustical panel. You know, it's like a drop ceiling. So above above that... It's just like these old, um, like old wood beams, oh, cool. but they drop the ceiling a little bit. And then there's like these just acoustical, you know, panels that you would find in, you know, an office or whatever, what, what have you. Okay. And then uh, you, so you go in, I guess I'm trying to like help the rock stars picture walking into a space sure. and knowing that it's right now. So, you know, you put up some panels on the walls and then how would you describe the the amount of echo or or sound of the room um, when you were like, this is going to work? Uh, well, the amount of echo that was in in the room when I first walked in, it, it was very short, very, like super short and kind of annoying. 
Um, so I, I wanted to just get rid. I could hear it, hear these echoes just coming off the walls. Again, it's like drywall, so it's not very for, forgiving in that sense. Um, so I put, uh, I, like I said, I had tons of old panels that I built for my old like studio. Like 703 or Rockwell panels. Yeah, exactly, or exactly, exactly. So I threw those up, and uh, and immediately that just that just that just did it. Um, and then a quick question uh, for you on that. Did you immediately start drilling holes through the wall and hanging panels or did you have some clever way of saying, I'm just going to put panels in different positions and, and get a feel for whether that's where they belong? Uh, no, I just, I just, I didn't have time. I guess. <laughs> I so I just, I, I, you yeah. know, I, I, I walked the room, I walked the room and, and I just, again, 500 square feet isn't, isn't that big. Yeah. So, and there's not a lot of panels on the wall, but I guess I, to be honest, man, I lucked out and that's, I really wish I could tell you, I like, I did the math and all nah, this nah, and that, we don't, but we I don't didn't. care about math. We care about like you yeah, know, yeah. The, the gut feeling that works out too. Um, yeah. you know, would you describe it as there's more drywall that's exposed than soft panel surfaces in the rim? Or? Oh, without a okay, doubt. Cool, yeah. Without cool. a doubt. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And then um, talk about where you position instruments and how you like to have everybody, you know, is there some isolation somehow of different instruments or are they all just talking to each other's mics? Uh, they're, they, they are talking uh, to each other's mics in a very uh, pleasant way, I'll yeah. say. So I, I put the, uh, so if you're looking at uh, like an a eight, eight and a half uh, by 11 sheet of paper, Let's say um, the the drums would be in the uh, top right. And we're looking down at the studio from the ceiling. Cool. The drums are in the top left hand corner of of that sheet of paper of the studio, kind of angled into the studio to the center. The uh, the organ and uh, the whole key world is um, on the other side of the. That would be the top right of the mm -hmm. sheet of paper. Uh, then um, the guitars are along between um, bass amps and guitar amps are on along the wall between the drums and the, we'll say the bottom uh, part of the left hand sheet of the paper. And then the right bottom right uh, would be it's just kind of like an area where I have a bench. It's kind of like a chill area, but mostly turns into where horns go or percussion. Um, and then the uh, the console area is in between on the opposite wall of the guitar amps between so the, on the right and, side and the, of the paper exactly exactly cool, cool. all right dig it uh, and then and just like a big open space in the middle so and then yeah. when you're recording if you're over on the drum kit playing how do you, you know, like what's a clever way for you to manage the recording part in the studio or do you always just have somebody to help you with that no, I'm a, I'm I'm if I'm in there solo, it's literally solo. So um, it depends on the vibe. Most most times, I don't even use a click track, so that kind of helps. Uh, I'll just go in. Well, and the other thing about about the studio, it's like everything is mic'd up and ready to go. It's very rare that I change anything. To be honest. Cool. Um, yeah, so it's, it's really easy. Like I'll, every once in a while, maybe I'll try something, a different mic or try something else, but I usually go in by myself and, and get levels and, 
and then I'm just off and, and recording. So, so for example, if I'm any day, I go go in there myself. Actually, the other day I went in there, and I I, I um I went on uh, Instagram Live while I was recording. Oh, cool! Like a tune. So unfortunately, everyone missed the drums because I recorded the drums. I was like, oh, I should go live with this guy. I've been meaning to do it for a while. And I'll tell you why after I explain this. But anyway, I recorded the drums. So, oh, cool. That's, you know, this sounds good. No click track. Came over to the uh, console, hit play, had it, you know, going through the speakers. It's like, all right, yeah, and pick up the bass, came up with something for that. And everything is just coming through the speakers, you know, mm-hmm. record bass. And so, okay, that sounds cool. Then again, everything coming through the speakers, pick up the guitar, play, uh, you know, to that, and then went over to the organ. And the whole entire time, things are coming through the speakers. Just filling up this um, room. Exactly, exactly. So, and, and when you solo, like, say, the guitar, you hear a little bit, a very little bit of, of what is coming, you know, what the guitar mic is picking up from the monitors. But to me, I mean, I've done it other, uh, the, the other way with headphones mm-hmm. when I'm just recording by myself. And it always sounds very sterile because mm. there's, there's no bleed. So I want some of the room, you know, I want all the mics to be picking up something. Well, obviously the drum mics aren't picking up anything because I started there. But um, yeah, like a little bit of the organ is picking up something. Uh, well, the bass, yeah, I have a bass amp and a DI going. So, cool. And it just kind of helps fill it out. Yeah, it's um, like it glues it together. It glues the sound more and more together. Exactly, exactly. So, so, so with that said, when I have a band in... It, it's so funny when cats like walk into the studio for the first time and they haven't been there before and they're looking around like, okay, so where, where do I set up? You know, like, yeah, just get comfortable, plug in and let's roll. And most times a band will show up and say, oh, well, we, we need a couple hours to get sounds. I'm like, yeah, sure. Cool. Cool. And we're recording within a half hour. Oh, that's great. Um, And the thing is I'll solo things like, oh, solo the guitar. It's like, Wait, where I hear a little bit of the drums, but not really. I don't hear, and you're basically right on top of the drums. But with that said, I've spent a lot of time choosing the right microphones for the for you know. I don't have like in that room for hmm, most of the time. I wouldn't have a bunch of omnis going in that in that space. Mm-hmm. Now I've done big band recordings where I'm using all omnis. But it worked for that space. But I just know that you know it's like I use a lot of dynamics and some and some ribbons, you know, in ways that the uh, the bleed is is pleasant and and minimal. And what bleed is there is musical. That's so cool. So, Have you noticed, um, you know, when you're doing this overdubbing system with the speakers playing into the room, and then you listen back to the stuff and it's all glued together. I guess as you mute some of the other instruments, of course, it changes what you're hearing. But do you also notice the drum character like um, evolving with each extra little bit of bleed added? I guess I guess a little bit, but to to be honest, Lidge, I don't use the solo button that often. Um, use the more button. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, uh, of course I do. I'll, I'll, you know, I use the solo button to, to check things, but especially when I'm I'm mixing, I really kind of stay away from it I, I and I just like hearing and feeling the entire thing I feel like I make better decisions I've learned to make I've learned over the years I now I make better decisions yeah in terms of mixing 
by not using the solo button. Yeah, well, then if you're getting so, your sounds to add up into a cool hole at the mm-hmm. recording stage, then you know you don't really you don't really need to solo things because you're just trying to listen to the yeah. whole. Um, how often do you feel like you're at the mix stage of stuff and you're really changing sounds versus just simply balancing and tweaking a little bit and kind of polishing? Um, when I'm out at the mix stage, I'm, I'm not really changing sounds at all. I mean, honestly, like I'm mixing for me starts when I hit record. Yeah. I'm, 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 if, if it doesn't sound the way I want it to sound, if I don't, if it's, I hear it in my head before anything. And if the snare drum doesn't sound, if that's not the right snare drum, well, then I change it. I change the heads or whatever, the guitar, the amp, the pedals, whatever it may be. Um, cause mixing uh, for me is, yeah, it's exactly that. It's, it's usually just some, some balancing and, and, uh, I feel like if, if I'm really changing sounds drastically, like with EQ, like I used to, I don't do that anymore. Then I just didn't do my job during tracking. Right. So um, I, I, sometimes I think it's a folly that we think we're going to record stuff and then we're going to figure out how to get it to sound right afterwards. Well, it, Exactly, man. You know, it's it's funny. I, I, I'm sure you've, I, I know you've heard this a million times or at least a hundred times. Like, oh, I want that bottom sound. Okay. Well, one, you're, you know, you're playing like a, a brand new whatever drum kit and blah, blah, blah. And you, and then by the end of it, I'm kind of like, well, you, you might have to, it, it, that's just not, that's not the vibe. Like you can't, Change, you can't change it in the mix. Well, I get this a lot of times. I used to get a lot of times if people would send me stuff because there's nothing I can really do about that at that point. Mm-hmm. Someone else tracked it, but it's like, yeah, we want that. We want a bottom sound. And you're like, oh, dude, well, you, you know, you're playing like a, a brand new whatever drum kit in the and you have like, you literally, like, I've gotten stuff where it's like, you have like 14 mics on the drum. Right. <laughs> like, you know, like, and you're not playing and and the song on top even beyond all that the song isn't it's not even a rock song right you know right, I, right. <laughs> you know what i'm saying man i don't know it's, it's just all these little pieces that that people you know feel like they haven't put together um in either the writing stage the production stage the tracking stage so then you're like expecting the mix engineer to do some magic you know, like put a magic bottom plug on, plug in on it. It's like, doesn't work Wait, that is way. there one? <laughs> Actually, man, I got to go. I got go. to get to work up. on some stuff. <laughs> um, you know, uh, I think sometimes we mistake um, these references, musical and sonic, that can be inspirations for us, which is totally fine. Like, it's totally cool to have a bottom inspiration as to inspire you to just kind of push forward with what you're doing. But it's a confusion to think that, oh, we're going to just make this, we're going to somehow turn this into that, that is inspiring exactly. us, you know. There was a, a record a lot years ago, one of the first ones I did, and the band was asking for an intro, and, and they were playing me a Nine Inch Nails intro, and we had this song we were working on, they were like, um, like that, you know, like that. And I was like, so finally I was, you know, of course I'm, I'm the producer engineer who's there going like, awesome, let's do it, I'll... I will jump off a cliff to try and make this happen right now, you know? Um, right. But finally, I was just like, 
I was like, well, screw it. Let's just, I'm just going to rip the intro off that song and paste it on the beginning of our song. Let's see what that looks like. You know, just as an experiment, Mm -hmm. it sounded terrible and it didn't work. And all the impact of the original production was completely lost as it went from that intro into our song. And like, not if it made sense. And for me at that time, it was this like, aha light bulb moment that went off. It's the same thing you just described. You just can't simply cut and paste. I mean, you can, if we're talking about sample productions and a whole different kind of vibe, right? you you know, A doesn't equal B, but it's okay for A to inspire B. Exactly. Yeah, without a doubt, man. I hear you. I hear you. All right, so let me ask you about what you're recording with. You mentioned the console over there. Um, Are you using analog? Are you recording with Pro Tools? Are you in the box? What, What kind of tools do you use to record? All right. Well, um, now, uh, again, I, I totally uh, I kind of flipped things up and I got rid of this Amec uh, console I had for for a little while. And I'm actually rocking a Personas 324 oh, AI. Right on. Man. Yeah. And so so with that said, I have um really the heart and soul of my studio and I, and is, um, or in terms of the sound is this thing called Zulu by handsome audio. And what it is, I have eight channels of it and it's, um, the world's first passive analog tape simulator. And, it is incredible. So this, this genius cat friend of mine, Langston Massengale, um, invented it. And um, I, I, I really can't even go into in depth in, in describing it. it. It would take like probably the entire interview. But um, I would highly suggest people just go to handsomeaudio.com and check it out. But that's – it's um, – it's it's a just a wonderful device. Basically, it's a it's a tape machine without tape, and it's oh, it's passive though. Like I said, does it look um, like a tape machine? It, no, it it has like these really cool control. It's a big like desktop kind of thing, and it's a dual mono device, so two channels per uh, device, and I have four of them, so I have eight channels. So mostly, like I send. Um, actually, I'm using one right now. Um, for my vocal, but uh, cool. drums, bass, uh, vocal definitely get hit with it um, or run through it, and I track with it. So okay, so that's one side of it. And I I used to have a long time ago. I had a Yamaha um, fifteen sixteen, which is kind of like the you know uh, post P uh, PM one thousand vibe. It's like around the PM two thousand kind of thing. Just like, you know, you, you can read all these your descriptions for a long time. And then I, and I got kind of tired of that sound, so I got rid of it. And then I got this Amec, which was like massive and and just ran super hot. And I got tired of that sound. And I said, you know what, man, I, I'm just I, – I, I, my whole vibe is I'm trying to – I don't want to see any gear, yeah. honestly. It's kind of, I'm going like the opposite. I used to have racks, you know, that were taller than me, full of outboard and all this kind of stuff. And I'm just going the opposite direction. I'm mixing the box. And uh, so anyway, the the Personas, the 32A42AI, whatever it is, it's the 
previous version. Mm-hmm. They have a newer version now. I'm sure you. I know you're familiar with it because I think you used it. I saw maybe a Bonnaroo or something. I, I like used that. the Studio um, Live 32 mixing console. Exactly. Bonnaroo. Right, the newer one. Exactly. So the reason why I got the, I was looking at that and I got the one prior to it because um, it has inserts. Sure. So. Yeah, yeah, and it's uh, but it's not a uh, it's not a motorized control surface. It's like old school, like you, you know, like it's old school. It's a, a good. <laughs> I love exactly, it when we're talking exactly, about but, new digital tech as old school, right? Yeah, exactly. But so it's um it's 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 acts almost like an old school board where you have to push faders like for when things are coming back, um after on you know, playback. And, um, it, yeah, it sounds, it sounds, it sounds good. Um, and I have, like I said, I have some, some outboard stuff that I use, but that's, that's pretty much it, man. Right, it's super cool, it's, man. Uh, simple. Well, we'll dig, we'll dig yeah. some more into that in just a minute. And then, um, what, sure. do, what DAW do you like to record into if you're recording in the box? Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Um, uh, I'm actually a studio one. Oh, cool, man. Uh, user. Awesome. Well, and. And the and the re and again I I love Studio One because I for a while was you can track uh, with plugins not and right. not just as um, uh, for uh, listening purposes but literally like any like you can put plugins on your inputs and kind of like uh, uh, you would with um, not Apogee where are the other cats oh U- um, U- UAD and stuff like that UAD yeah. exactly so like basically whatever plugin you put on you know obviously like I look for stuff that like zero or very close to zero latency mm-hmm. but it'll track and actually I do that that's another part of my um, uh, uh, workflow um, so yeah all yeah. right cool well let's take a break for a minute and we'll come back in for the jam session we're gonna dig deeper into questions about uh, what mics you're using on different things, um, you know, talk about working with headphones and not headphones, talk about your workflow. Um, Rockstars, before we take a break, uh, remember you can find links to what we're talking about in the show notes. Just click through on your mobile device or go to rsrockstars.com and find the blog post here with Alan Evans. And then, of course, I've put together a YouTube playlist so you can just click through right there and listen to a bunch of these amazing records that Alan's doing. And we'll see you guys in just a minute for the jam session. This show is sponsored by Recording Studio Rockstars Academy. Are you ready to take your recording, mixing, and mastering to the next level and make your best record ever? Then visit the Academy to find the course that's right for you. Want to record killer drums in your home studio? Then check out Rockstars of Drums to learn how to record, edit, and mix pro-sounding drums with a professional Nashville session drummer in a Grammy-winning studio. Or if you are ready to start mastering your own records at home, then check out Rockstars of Mastering, where I walk you through exactly how I mastered my own record, Skadoosh, using nothing but plugins in PreSona Studio One. These techniques would work for you in whichever DAW you are using right now. And if mixing is your focus, then check out my free course, Mix Master Bundle, where I show you how to mix using stock and free plugins in Pro Tools. Plus, you get a look at how I recorded everything in my studio and multi-track downloads to mix in your own studio and even include in your mixing portfolio if you want. Are you ready to make your best record ever? Then go to MixMasterBundle.com to get started for free now and look for the clickable link in the show notes of this episode. 
Are you using a Mac in your recording studio? Are you tired of feeling like the studio setup you worked so hard to create is becoming obsolete too quickly? Wouldn't it feel great to have a trusted friend to help you keep your existing Mac and studio setup current and relevant so that you can focus on the thing you love most, which is making great music? Well, now you can rely on OWC, Other World Computing, which you can find at OWC.com, whose mission it is to help you get the most mileage out of your existing Mac. Whether you need to upgrade your RAM, install an SSD drive, add more connectivity, or simply find a great used Mac that's ready to rock, OWC will help take your studio into the future with a vast library of DIY install videos, 24-7 friendly support, and free shipping in the U.S. on most items over $49. Why get frustrated and ditch your existing computer when you can take your studio into the future with OWC? Learn more at OWC.com and find out how awesome your Mac can be at OWC. Hey, Rockstars, we're back now for the jam session. My guest today is Alan Evans, joining us from Iron Wax Studios in Deerfield, Massachusetts. Alan, are you ready to jam? Let's jam. Dude, I bet you're always ready to jam. <laughs> I'm without a doubt. Did you play music this morning before this interview? You know, I didn't. I actually I listened to some music, but I, I didn't pick up the guitar this morning. So uh, no, not yet. I think you told me that you have kids. You got a couple of kids. Um, it, yes, talk indeed. a little bit for just a moment about the balance of family life and making records. And you know, for me, I I know my world is like get up get school ready, you know, take my daughter, drop her off at school, turn around, double back, hit the studio by 10 a.m. Uh, are you also sort of putting all those pieces together? Yeah, that sounds about right, man. I mean, yeah, studio starts at 10 a.m. Um, pretty much every, yeah, when I have bands come in or if I go in by myself. Um, kid, uh, our kids are uh, 14 and 18, so. Um, A little more self-sufficient now. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So they just, they just kind of do their thing and, and uh, do my thing. And they, yeah, it, it works pretty well. Are they well. playing music as well? Um, actually, yeah. I mean, they're, they're in the, they're athletes, um, kind of like I, I was when I was growing up. But yeah, they, um, our son plays uh, drums and um, guitar. He has, uh, keys he's been like messing around with, like making beats with his boys and nice. stuff like that yeah yeah and, and then uh our daughter she was playing flute for a while actually started off with viola and then flute but then she kind of chilled out on all that so all right, cool. uh, they but they're all in the really good music so it's, it's pretty yeah awesome. my daughter is a real music lover she just sings and sings and sings and trying out for the musicals yeah. and stuff nice nice it's nice. fun i feel like uh you know I feel like I saw a lot of people that are really talented as I came up, as I, as I went to recording studio and chose a path of music, I was, you know, black sheep of the family in a way, whereas like I was doing this, this direction that nobody in my family could give me any influence about. And I would meet people that were um, incredibly talented. And sometimes when I looked a little closer, I'd discover that, you know, maybe their dad was in the studio growing up, or maybe they, you know, had some great musical influences in their family. So I always like to think that, you know, maybe my my ultimate hit record comes a generation later if my daughter ever picks up the, you know, the torch of music yes. and, and makes records herself. 
There you go, man. Yeah, I, I love it. That's great. <laughs> All right, cool. So let's let's start talk about your studio some more. I mean, you talked about tracking with a full band in the studio um, and getting this great sound and choosing the right mics. Let's let's dig into that. Drums and the way you record drums is one of the things that really is exciting sounding and unique and cool. And it makes me go, how the hell do I make drums sound that cool? So Alan, <laughs> how the hell do you make drums sound that cool? Oh man. Well, it, well, hmm. it, I have some really nice drums, which helps. Yeah. Um, and then I, I'm, I'm lucky enough to work with some, some really great drummers who come through the, through the studio. So that definitely helps. Um, and I've, I've, you know, on my own stuff, I've been playing a couple of years, so, you know, I yeah. <laughs> kind of know what I'm, I can get around. Um, but, uh, so it's, to me, it's, it's kind of like a, most times it's like a less is more kind of thing. Um, kick drum, it's like one mic. Most of the times I use like a EV 666, like from the late fifties. Um, but recently I, I kind of changed that out to like a telephone, one of the new telefunkins, but, but I really love the, the, um, the 666 just has, it just has the sound snare top. It's like, uh, 50. Oh, lately I've been doing a beta 56 a, cause I wanted a little brighter sound, but usually it's just a 57. Um, and then like, I have like a stereo, um, ribbon overhead and the overhead actually changes a lot depending on if I want a mono vibe or stereo but lately I've been using like this cascade stereo um, ribbon mic that's cool to hear that's uh, encouraging too because that's a quite a um I mean I'd say a telefunken is the only thing that makes me go Ooh, that might be expensive but everything else I think oh, that's a very affordable mic collection yeah I mean well the you know the funny thing is the 666 I was after one for years and and they were like, man, you can't find those for under like four hundred bucks or five hundred bucks, which you know isn't bad, I guess. I don't know, but I, one day I was like searching Craigslist, and this cat put up a oh EV six 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 for fifty bucks. I'm not sure if it works because he didn't have the right cable. I was like, okay, yeah, well, it's a it's a well, those e, old EV mics, man. You could toss them off at like a ten story building, and they're still gonna they're gonna yeah. work, you know. Yeah. So I, I knew it was gonna be. It, I mean, it's like, whatever, 50 bucks. I picked it up, had, had the right mic uh, cable connector, and bam, it was working. Um, but yeah, I mean, to be honest, man, like, oh, so then on the, on the tom, sometimes I'm, I, I've been digging miking the toms, um, and I just have a couple of uh, one, two, uh, MXL 2001s. Which oh, are yeah, like, I got a pair of even, They were the first yeah, ones man, to come out, even, right? Exactly, exactly. And the reason why I dig those, um, I, I had this session one time. It was like a uh, uh, some cat, some cats came into the studio because they were putting some guitars on a Miranda Lambert tune. Mm -hmm. And I was like checking out the drums. I'm like, wow, man, these drums sound great. He's like, oh, yeah, well, the toms specifically. He's like, oh, yeah, well, they used um, some uh, U87s on the toms. I was like, oh, really interesting. So that's why I was like, well, I don't have any U87, so I have these 2001s. And it sounded, I don't know, it sounded cool, sounded great. I mean, so there's like nice focus of the toms, but you get like this nice 
bleed from the symbols. That's just again, it's this, it's musical. Yeah. And I just use them, you know, I bring them in or out depending on you know, on the on the production on the song. That's um, a thing. That's an important that's, uh, point to make. That Tom Mike's um, surprisingly has a lot to do with the symbols. Exactly. Exactly. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Um, but again, like my whole vibe, man, is, is how, how are the mics working? Are they all working together to create the sound? Oh, and then the other thing. So this is the other vibe. I have a, um, this one mic that basically sits, it's picking up the um, kick drum and snare drum. So it's like, it's, I have it over the kick drum and it's pointing, the diaphragm is pointing at the side of the snare. And then, and it's like hanging right above the kick drum, above and the beater. Yeah, exactly. Or maybe a little off to the side, like off to the first lug that would, if you're looking at the kick drum, off to the right, toward, toward this. So it's not oh, right right away from the snare. Towards. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and so honestly, I use that mic. I one of the albums I may have sent you was like this, the newest Soul Live yeah. album. And that was the only mic that I used Love on the it. on the drums. I'm ex- like one microphone. I'm excited to talk about that because that's that cool. Um, you know, mono, mm-hmm. very focused sound. Like it's it's because there's not a bunch of mics. It's like super phase coherent, super clear image of just right. one cool sound. And and I've been calling that like the Dap King sound. You know, exactly. Yeah, for lack yeah, of a better yeah, word, exactly. because um a buddy of mine down here kind of hit me to that years ago. And then I started experimenting, experimenting with it and loved that sound. Um, what, yeah. what mic do you like to use for that? And how uh, should the rock stars consider even treating a, a one mic thing like that? Man, I used, well, for that particular recording, uh, I used the, the, actually the mic that I'm speaking into right now. It's a um, JJ Audio U77. Um, but right, but right now for uh, a while I've been using, it's a, <laughs> it's a Sterling audio ST 55. Okay, cool. Which is, you know, again, when that thing came out, it was probably like, you know, a hundred bucks or something like this, you know, I think it was like a groove tubes had the same version of it. It was like the GT 55 and then, and it's like one pattern. It's just cardioid and, and I just stick it there and. You just move it around until you get the right balance of kick drum and, and snare drum. And then so for if you're going to use like I use that for just the recording, I definitely I had definitely sat on it um, with a I think it was compressed or whatever, just to pull in yeah. a little bit more of the. But I mean, you just get it. You just move it around until you get a nice picture what you, you know, is it sound good? Cool. Well, it's good. Well, I think of um, the, that Soul Live record is having a crunchiness to it too. And like a, um, almost like, um, you know, harmonic, uh, a nice, a subtle mid range kind of present harmonic distortion to the whole thing. Is that something that is part of that recording stage of the one mic on the drums, or is that more to do with the way the whole mix kind of glues together later? Any, any thoughts on that or advice? Yeah, I mean, honestly, the the a lot of that sound is the the Zulu, the handsome audio Zulu that I use. Um, so the, the Zulu is interesting, um, and like I said, Cass can go research it. But 
essentially you have three different um, tape decks uh, to choose from or uh, vibes. So you can go from like your your Swiss, you know, your your Studer, mm-hmm. you know, with and then it has a particular um, f- tape formulation with it. So it'd be four fifty six. Then you can choose uh, what's called a Profi or Japanese kind of vibe with 456. So that would be like your Tascam or, or mm-hmm. even your Otari 8-track. And then you can go down to your Lo-Fi, which is kind of like your Tascam, like 4-track kind yeah, of cassette Porta vibe. Porta Studio, exactly. And then and then you have all like these different controls, like bias, um, enhance, all the uh, and different calibrations. There's a lot to it, man. But essentially, so with that, I just went lo-fi on it. And and if you hit, you can smack Zulu with so much signal, it's it's insane. So and it reacts and sounds like tape. That's cool. So the harder you hit it, and if you have it on like your on your low studio or uh, low machine setting lo-fi setting it's going to crunch up just kind of like um again like a porta studio or even uh like every, a lot of cats are using like 388s these days um and it'll just you drive it and it gets that that crunch and and after that honestly like mixing the that soul live thing probably took me i probably spent oh, 20 minutes a song that's awesome because it already sounds cool. Because the sound was there. Exactly. The sound was there. It's just like, okay, bring that up, bring that down. Let's okay, cool. Sounds good. That's, you that's know, all the all the effects, you know, like there's like crazy stuff on the organ and the we just like cause with my organ, you can plug it in all in line. So delays or whatever. So it's what's there is right. There. So you tracked with that's those sounds. What is your organ? It's a uh nineteen sixty one uh Hammond A one oh one. So, um, I'm sure it's, it's a B3 yeah. and just in a different case. Um, but it's, there's some special about it. The cool thing about it has quarter inch outputs on it. And my Leslie has a quarter inch inputs on it. So that's why you can put, you know, any guitar pedal you want in, in line. Yeah. Um, yeah. and so the, the, the Leslie cabinet is literally just a cabinet. Um, and then I have an Ampeg, uh, guitar amp driving it so it's kind of like the john lord interesting so my leslie has a built-in like a tube amp and you have to use the multi-pin connector to go from the um right the 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 leslie pedal at the organ which has a quarter inch in over to the leslie so is yours yours is set up differently yeah exactly there's no there was no multi-pin on mine when i when i got the organ and i was in they're they're not hard to to uh, retrofit uh, to put on. Um, but, uh, uh, my buddy, um, Jamie Simpson, who he works on, like, uh, he, he builds amps and, uh, he works on like John Medeski's organs and, and, and my brothers. And anyway, I told him the situation. He's like, Oh dude, I got this, this cabinet for you. It'd be perfect. So the, the other thing with about the sound of the organ, it is a 15 watt speaker cabinet. Right, so it's with a, little. Exactly. It's yeah, it has a twelve inch um uh woofer in the bottom and then obviously like the top rotor. But the thing is I wanted, you know, or people are familiar with organs, they sound great. I mean, if you get a, a B three or A one hundred or C three with a one twenty two or one forty seven, 
it is just a, an amazing sound. Yeah. It's going to tear your head off, you know, because <laughs> huge. And if, yeah, exactly. And if you want to get that, that really driven, that beautiful, uh, the deep purple salmon organ sound, dude, it is so loud. So in my studio, like that would not work. So I have like this, this cabinet that literally has a 15 watt, uh, speakers in, in, in it, and then a 15 watt Ampeg. So I can really drive that thing and it's not going to like the drum mics aren't picking it up. That's awesome, man. So, well, that answers the yeah. question I had written down. What's the trick for a great organ sound? Um, but let me jump to the next one. Uh, how do you like to record your bass guitar so that you get just the right bass? And then how do you know when the bass is right? I mean, you've got these records that are groove oriented. They may, I, I want to crank them up. I want to probably, I probably am going to feel like there's a lot of bass on this record, but I don't think that you're like overloading it with too much bass either, you know? So what, what, what do we need to know about getting awesome bass? Wow, man. Uh, okay. So for me, uh, so I have like a, one of these red, the red DI tube um, mm-hmm. bass DI, or I got, uh, this is a really cool tube DI. And so when you that, look at it, then, it just looks like it just says ready with R-E-D-D-I. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I've had, I've used other DIs over the years, but uh, I saw one come up you know, and I just had to grab it. It was like a, uh, someone was like a fire sale or something like that. You know, someone closing up a studio. So I just picked it up. And um, and then I have um, a bass amp, a um, couple of heads and like this 15 inch cabinet. And like the one is like, it's like a Univox. It's kind of like a cross between, it, it could be used as a guitar amp, a PA or a bass head. And it has like this basement, like like a '60s basement sound. And then below that, I have another head. It's uh, made by this company EMC, which is like a '70s. It's like a solid state bass amp that was, I think they were like from Kentucky or something like that, like in the '70s. And they're both just really cool sounding amps. So I uh, have a mic on the on the cabinet, and then I just track DI. And depending on on the vibe, I'll sometimes I'll just use the DI. Sometimes I'll use a combination. Um, but if I use a combination in the mix, um, it all gets gets bust to one, you know, down to one, mm-hmm. I guess. Mm-hmm. And then I'll like throw. Usually, I just my thing is I'll just throw like a uh, a DBX one sixty on it and just like till it sounds good. To be honest, man, <clears throat> I don't eat like when when it comes on the mix. Actually, even most times in the uh, tracking, I don't. I literally don't do anything. That's like bass. I don't do anything to it. Just get it right in the beginning, and there's your bass reference. There's the bottom of your whole record. Exactly. I. I. That's the one thing I really don't mess with in the mix. Um, It's just if it sounds. I don't. I I just feel like. um, uh, I guess depending on the tune or the vibe of how much. I, I think of it this way. It's like. Who who is um? It's like a pyramid, and now who is who is at the bottom? Who, what's the uh, technically the base mm-hmm. or the the foundation? To me, it's like I think on this tune it's kick drum or it's bass guitar mm-hmm. or you know whatever. But somebody I don't like them fighting. One of them is going to be on top of one, the other, mm-hmm. and and that's it. So if it's a, if it's a tune, usually maybe if it's like a slower tempo tune, I want more kick drum. Okay, well then I'm a high pass the bass a little bit, or like during tracking, just bring it, bring the 
the tone down a little bit. Um, now, what about the or, one mic on drums? When you're using that, um, I think you said the JJ Audio U67 or the Sterling, um, mm-hmm. is that uh, my gut is telling me that that's a that's a kick sound that doesn't have a ton of subs to it, right? Or or am I thinking about this wrong? It, you know, the funny thing is it can, but the, um, you can get a lot of low end out of it. But again, it you have to move the mic around. Now, the thing is, if you want more low end out of that, that microphone, well, something is going to suffer. Like you're going to lose snare definition mm-hmm. or pop. So again, with the one mic, mic uh, technique, it's all about just moving it around until you get the right sound. Um, and sometimes it's, it's, I've done things with drums where there's one mic, maybe like 10 feet back. And it's just, that's the, that is just the sound. And then sometimes it's like right inside the drums and that's the sound, but it's, it's, yeah, it's really just, um, moving around and finding the right sound. And then, um, but uh, beyond that, the drummer, like dynamics, how you, how you play, if you're, have a really well-balanced drummer playing very well balanced it's going to work a lot easier it's going to it's going to sound better yeah. I guess. well so i'm going to um, describe something that can suck a little bit um you mm-hmm. do something you go to another room you play it back it doesn't sound right you're like oh maybe i'll do this and then you try some go out and you change something and then you do it and then you go to a go to the other room and listen and play it back and it doesn't sound right is there something about your process where you're able to feel like you're making changes in real time? I mean, how, how do you find the position for this one mic and do stuff? Is it just one step at a time until you kind of hit it and then you're ready to rock? Or is it something that you can hear when it's happening somehow? Um, well, a lot of times it's something that I, I, I can hear while it's happening. I mean, with me, um, I'll, um, I'll, I'll have headphones on. Um, and sometimes the drums are kind of cranked in the headphones and just when I'm checking, I just like, I like to just hear like, again, like a half inch moving the mic a half inch in any direction can be a massive change. Um, you know, in, in that situation. Um, so yeah, I'm just, I'm, I, I, again, I know what I'm, I want to hear. I can hear it in my head. Um, and it's just a matter of, uh, it usually doesn't take me long, luckily. Do you feel like you have an advantage so. just because you've been recording for so long, you have these images of, of sound in your head? Um, do you feel like somebody who's getting comfortable in their home studio, one room environment, um, just needs to just simply record a bazillion different, I mean, it's the, it's the Bruce Lee quote, right? It, you just need to apply it, it. It is. Yeah, you need to apply it, but man, to be honest, like, you know, again, I go back to, you know, saying, uh, okay, I was, I was mentioning that the other day I went in uh, to the studio and I broadcasted like live on Instagram. Right. Yeah. So the reason I did that is, you know, a lot of people hear my recordings. Oh man, it's amazing. And, and you play all these instruments and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that's true. But at the same time, there's a lot of times that I'm just sucking. And, you know, like I go in the studio and things just don't sound right. I may go in the studio one day and come out with nothing. Now, the thing is, like these days, you can go on online and you, and this was where my thinking was. You go online and you can see all these one minute videos of 
people just super killing anything like a Mm -hmm. dope drummer on whatever, whatever. But what you don't see, and and a lot of people uh, get, uh, can get, um, frustrated or discouraged because of that. It's like, oh man, that dude's killing. I'm never going to be that killing. Well, yeah, you didn't see the 12 hours that they put into making that video or the, the, the 12 years that they put into practicing or, or playing to get to that point, to get to that one minute video. Yeah. So that's why I went on and I just like hit, I just hit, I went live and people, the, honestly, the response to it was overwhelming. It was crazy because people were hitting me up like, dude, like it was amazing. Like I, I forgot the camera was on and I was just doing my thing. I was like, it took me take after take of, I was writing it as I was going. And so th- I guess what it comes down to is it's just like, it's, um, it's the experience, you know, like you just have to like keep, keep at it. And I've been doing, I've been, man, I started recording in the late eighties and I'm still, I'm still, there's still a lot of holes in my, in my knowledge or, or whatever, but I've been doing it a long time. So maybe it's a little bit easier for me than some other people. That's great. But, um, but it's just, it takes time. Man. I mean, it's, I guess that, that's the thing, man. We can go online and find all the, these tips and tricks and all, all this kind of stuff. But the, when, it, at the end of the day, man, it's just, it's just experience. It's just like Malcolm Gladwell, yep. you know, put your 10,000 hours in, man. You know, it's like, it's, that's, that's the, that's the secret sauce right there. You know, yeah, I don't um, know. And, uh, you know, it's the, that expression, every overnight success is 10 years of really hard work. Exactly. Um, so let's talk about electric guitar. Another thing you're getting great sounds of. Um, you know, obviously there's lots of different ways we can approach recording an electric. What What's a way that tends to work for you? If if a band was to walk in and you say everything's already mic'd up, what would that look like right mm-hmm. now? Well, I have uh, I have some really cool amps. Not uh, I have um, the one the one amp that actually gets used probably ninety eight percent of the time is this. I have a Supro uh, Tremolo Verb, so it's low wattage um, amp. And it just sounds amazing. And I have one microphone on it. It's a AKG D1000E. So uh, essentially, it's a, it's like a 57 kind of vibe, you know. But it sounds a little different, and it just works for that amp. Um, and then next, that I have like this early 80s uh, Fender Twin 2, which was um, built by Paul. It's like a hand kind of wired vibe. Um, that Paul Rivera of Rivera Amps, when he was at Fender, he made all the, these versions of their amps, like the Twin and the, uh, I don't know if he did a Princeton, I don't remember, but anyway, it's just a, a fabulous yeah. amp. I have like, some other weird, like Gibson um, solid state amps, you know, AC30 and Fox AC30 and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But um, again, it's just, I, I, um, I have one microphone on each amp. And, just ready to go. That's ready to go. Yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah. And people just come in and, and, and sometimes people bring in their own amps and I'll just like, cool, swap something. One You're of my like, amps. Did you bring a mic? Stick. Cause I'm not touching one of mine. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh man. I'll just, I'll just stick a mic on it and, and, uh, and just go for it. I, to me, man, it's just, I, 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 again, over the years I've done the whole two mics on amps or two mics on the amp and then one in the room and all this kind of stuff. 
And for me, and this is just me, everybody's different, but I, I just want to get to creating. Yeah. Like I don't, and, 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 and that's it. Like, I don't want to, I, man, I'm just like, drums are like hard enough to make sure that things are like phase, phase coherent and all this right? kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly. Exactly. Like, man, I don't want to worry about like, is moving the ribbon mic in the, in the condenser or the dynamic, like back and forth till it sounds right. It's like, man, I just want to stick one mic. It's to sound good. Cool. Let's, I want to play. Like, that's just my yeah, focus, you know? Yeah. And, and, and I know that this, the, like, for instance, the AKG, the, that D1000E or whatever it is, and the Supro just, it sounds like the Supro. It just, you know, so whatever, whatever you plug in, like you get your sound. And when I hit playback, that's, it sound, that's, that's the sound. It's, it sounds great. And you just move, you just move on, you know? Um, and you make your, again, you make your adjustments that for me, I make my adjustments on the guitar or at the amp um, because I just wanted to, when I hit playback, I just want to hear the way it's going to sound. That's cool. You know, I like that approach and I agree with you. I, um, I love just getting down to music as fast as possible. Um, I'm still living in multiple worlds because, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I treat my studio like, like a, a blank slate. When a band comes in, I set up from scratch and, it works, but boy, is it a pain in the ass to have to do that every time. And um, I'm trying to keep my upstairs loft area. I keep trying to set it up like you just described, where it's like simple miking and it's ready to rock without having to, uh, or ready to groove or ready to jam without having to set up a bunch of stuff. And it's so much fun when right. you can just go turn on the switches and start making music, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, all right, so another record of yours um or, or one of the ones in our youtube playlist uh crowd company stone and sky uh notice it's got percussion on it and horns on it and i wondered if you want to comment mm-hmm. about things you've learned about recording great percussion and and how to get horns right okay um well uh percussion um i have uh, percussion i really love uh utilizing the sound of the room um, uh, I'll put a kind of close mic, a few things, maybe congas, mm. but usually, um, and again, this, I guess this, this depends on the situation uh, with that, uh, album in particular, we tracked the percussion afterwards. So it was an overdub. So with, in that situation, you have a lot, um, a lot more options available to you in terms of using the room. Um, so I have a couple of mics that I, it's like this um, one mic I use for percussion all the time. It's like this old, uh, realistic, like a Radio Shack, like this Omni microphone. So it kind of looks like um, like a, like one of those broadcast mics from like the 70s that cats right, were used on right. television. The Bob, Bar- the Bob and, Barker mic. Yeah, it's a little larger than that, but that's the vibe. Yeah, you know, and man, it has like this, mid-range thing and again it's like this weird it's like an omni or at least it says on <laughs> on the label right, it's an right. omni but it's definitely not it, 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 there's some funk to it um but percussion like man i for years i was battling with hand claps like that was like the worst i people was like oh man let's put some hand claps i was like oh yeah. shit <laughs> oh 
And all of a sudden, I got this microphone and just on a whim, I don't know. And it was like 20 bucks or something online or whatever. And percussion just, it sounded perfect. I don't know. I, I, you know, so again, I just, I let the microphone do a lot of the, it it just sounds right. And you throw it in the mix, bam. Well, one of the things that Um, I know I've struggled with, with percussion is the times where you have like just a sort of a, a crisp condenser mic out there, and then it's like, yeah, we'll just mm-hmm. use that. We'll just use that one for tambourine and hand claps and shakers. And then you hear it, and you're like, ugh, just well, the top end sounds terrible like that. Well, exactly. Well, see, that's the thing. That's what I love about this mic. It, it has like this, this again, this mid range thing. Um, again, if you just mic up some percussion with like a really nice condenser or whatever. And and listen to it by itself. Yeah, it sounds great. It's like, whoa, that's you know, it's crispy and blah blah blah. And as soon as you put it in the mix, you're like, it's like scooped out, like it disappears. Yeah. And then the more the more you th- you're like, oh, I don't hear like the congas, I don't hear the cowbells, and you push it up till the point you can hear it, and then all of a sudden it's way too yeah, much. Yeah, it sounds. And then you bring it back, and then it's gone. Sounds glassy so, or edgy. Exactly, exactly. So this microphone, man, it just like you can push it up, and it just it's just perfectly now when you solo it it it's not the greatest sounding thing like you're like really that's that's, it it has like this honky mid-range kind of thing or something but man in the mix though oh it's it's just perfect it just gets you jumping nice man what about um your experiences with working with drummers who then go put percussion on their own records. Have you ever run into the battle where everybody just assumes that the drummer should play the percussion on the part and you, then you discover that they really don't know how to play percussion? Exactly. Well, that's the thing, man. Like, yeah, it, it's um, a friend of uh, this cats who were, who were just in the studio. They're coming back in. We just finished a single and they're coming back in. And they say, hey, man, we have this tune and you have this, this soul live tune that has the percu- this percussion track, and we want it, we want it just like that. And I was like, okay, well, yeah, it sounds great, but I didn't play percussion on that. That was my boy Danny Sedownik, who has played with everybody. Like he's like a huge big time dude. That's his band. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? So it's it's kind of funny. Like anybody, like, yeah, you get bands, it's like, oh, let's put a tambourine track on or whatever. And it, yeah, it sounds cool until you get a real percussionist in there. It's a, it's lights out. It's a completely different bag. And yeah, so I, percussion man, I, I, I try to leave that to the, to the, to the big boys, to the professionals, cats who like, yeah, I, I mean, I put, I put tambourine on or whatever and percussion on my own tracks. I played congas a little bit, but I stopped playing congas because it, I was in these situations where the cats are like, oh man, play congas on the, live at least, you oh, know, yeah, beat up play your congas. Hands, and then, the, and then the next tune I'm playing guitar. Dude, like literally, my the, my my left hand, my fingers would double in size, and then next, and then I got a strat in my hand, like trying to play. It's ridiculous. So I said, "No, nah, no more, no more of that for me." Um, um, I'm trying to remember. I haven't said his name in a minute, but um, the the drummer and the tambourine player for Motown, for the Motown band. Oh, it was so good, and he plays the tambourine with a skin on it. And if you see it in the um, mm-hmm. the Motown documentary, you know he plays. Uh, on the old recordings, but also in like when the band gets up there. And I just remember being struck by that and being like, that's how you play that, that thing. You can't just 
be anybody and just grab it and go. You like there's it takes a real skill set to play tambourine yeah. with just the right feel. Exactly, exactly. I mean, I, like I said, man, I know that most of us, and even myself included, can't always like a, afford to or have the time to get a, a percussionist in on a track. But boy, when, when you do, it, it just elevates the entire track because there's just a musicality like a really good percussionist has. There's it's it's on it's it's just so hard to match. You know, just like going out in the room and having like you like you said, like, oh, the drummer plays drums so he can. The, the other thing is a lot of times when the drummer plays percussion, I feel like it's they're playing almost the same same thing as they, they would play on drums. So it, it disappears in the mix It because they're like, you know, it's, oh, I played 16th on the hi-hat. So they're playing 16th on the tambourine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just yeah, it's just a, a you know, or I've seen I've team. seen the drummer um, or somebody go out there to do a, a tambourine, and they in their head they hear the tambourine as this big expressive instrument, so they do big body movements, and it just makes the whole thing late and totally out of pocket, you know. And and yeah, I've yeah. I've learned that tambourine, um, you know, if you get close on the mic and gain it up, and then you just you know you move your wrist just so, you can get a much more in pocket thing like that. But uh, exactly. Well, let's let's exactly. jump to horns for a minute. What um, are some ways that you like to mic up the horns when they're playing in your room? Uh, what are some things that you've tried before that you learned? Like, wow, that doesn't work for horns. Well, uh, to be honest, like in terms of horns, you like you cannot go wrong um, if you just read how Al Schmidt tracks horns. I mean, that's to me that's like uh, <laughs> that's like the that's the golden ticket right there. So for people who don't know, um, so uh, trumpet and uh, and this I, I should say this does change, but generally if, for like the crowd coming in kind of vibe, I would do um, a ribbon. I have like these Russian, this cat in Russia made like these ribbon microphones. So it was just like kind of Royer um, one was it one twenty one uh, clones mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, so I use those on trumpet and, and trombone, and they're probably, I'd say, about six to eight inches away from the, from the bell of each horn. And then for saxophones, I'll use, uh, well, actually, I'll use this U77, which, um, which is really awesome because I can switch it between cardioid and omni. So I would put it in omni, and that would be about um, eight inches off from the horn, pointing down in between the bell and the body of the saxophone. So you get a little bit of the overtones coming through the the sound hole. Exactly, exactly, exactly. It's just you know, it's just a a, a bigger picture of uh, of of the instrument. Now I've done horns like. Then this is the one thing a lot of people. Uh, their experience with miking things they've seen most people have seen instruments mic'd on stage right at live shows so you go in the studio and and you know you know and so oh well that's how they use this microphone on stage well there's a reason why they did it on stage so uh, so i've made the mistake of you know shoving like a dynamic mic into the bell of a horn you know when i was you know younger or whatever 
it's just not a be- it's not a great sound mm-hmm. but live you're doing that just because there's a million other things that are affecting what's you know what's going into that microphone so you're just trying to get as close as you can on the on the saxophone or whatever instrument um so yeah so that's that's my vibe you know i just try to give the 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 horn some some space some air how uh, do they play together how close do they stand to each other yeah, they're usually like kind of like right next to each other, just like um, they would in um, on stage, like on a, in a yeah. live situation. Yeah, but so with that said, um, and I know I, I sent you something earlier that unfortunately everyone's probably not gonna be able to hear yet. But this big band album that I don't know if you had a chance to check it out, but anyway, that was a totally different scene where I mean it's like a funk big band, mm-hmm. and I had all the trombones around in a circle around an omni microphone oh cool then i i had all the trumpets standing next to them all in a circle around an omni and then i had all the saxophones in a semi-circle um with you know omni you know kind of spot mics throughout the section maybe like four omnis or whatever and boy that is a big sound oh, cool when does that uh, is, are we going to be able to hear that one later yeah, well, that's uh, I think that um, I've heard is coming out in May. All right, cool, so, cool. Take it. Yeah, awesome. Um, well, I'm excited to hear that. Um, and then um, there's one other unusual recording technique that we should talk about for a minute. And I want to then jump to some of your mixing stuff. Um, but you sure. did. You've been working with the the band Eavesdrop, um, and then you recently mm-hmm. did a beautiful one mic session inspired by John Cuniberti. Um, and I wondered if you could tell us about that recording process for you. First, tell us what was it that you guys did, and then talk about the process of of getting that sound. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, uh, I'll I'll tell everyone that um, I'm a, a an avid, a huge listener of of this podcast. So when John was on, driving around back and forth to the studio, and he starts describing the one mic technique. So then I after the program. I went on YouTube and checked out his channel and I immediately was like eavesdrop would be perfect for this. That's great. Now there are, there are a group of women, um, three women who sing just beautifully together. One of them plays guitar. And then they also have a, a band, um, a backing band that they play with, uh, depending on the gig. So anyway, so I, I shot them. I was like, look, check out these videos. I want to do this with you. Like it, it's, I just know it's going to work great. So the thing with the one mic thing, oh, and, and then, and obviously uh, bringing in a videographer to, to film mm-hmm. it. So the thing is, it's all one take and, and you have to place everyone around the stereo ribbon mic um, so that it's a nice, you get a nice balanced sound. You're just, it's, it's literally, you're just moving people around like you would faders. So it's just mixing before you hit record or while you hit record or whatever. Um, so we chose, they found us a space that this big, big like auditorium and we sat, uh, set up on the floor. And, um, so yeah, the one video that you have is just the three of them singing mm-hmm. and oh, beautiful, man, beautiful sound, sounded... beautiful harmonies and everything. Exactly. Exactly. Now I'll tell you that this was my first attempt at it. And it was challenging, especially with the the full band. Now the the room 
was was especially challenging. It was a boomy, pretty big boomy room, and it was old and and not really treated for um, music for audio. Um, so I the the full band thing sounds really cool, but it definitely has like this um, like exaggerated pet sounds kind of like you know vibe like just you know like the wall of sound kind of thing it's like big and verby and um but it like i said it worked really well for the the three of the 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 trio um and and again the the full band one came out really cool it's it's, uh i probably would have chosen a, a different room for that but um it's uh it's it's um it's amazing when you get it right i mean when on that particular tune that you that you have up there i man i had just goosebumps that's great like, man it's, that's yeah, exciting. it's just beautiful well, rock stars yeah it's, we have a link to that in the youtube playlist as well so you can check that out and go listen to it um and sorry i cut you off but continue no 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 i mean it's just uh I, I would highly suggest everyone try it at some point. It's 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 not it's definitely check out John's um, videos for sure because they're the quality is just incredible, and uh, yeah and just and just try it. It's it's um it's an it's an education for sure. Um, it what really was, is. What and, was the mic that you chose for yours? Um, well, that was the that Cascade. Um, was it the something 15 or stereo whatever. ribbon mic cool your stereo ribbon mic yeah exactly and it's it's a good it's a good sounding mic i know john uses the the aea mm-hmm. uh which is i would love to get my hands on that but now what know. about what about your <laughs> mic pre what'd you choose for a mic preamp man so uh, <laughs> so that that's where i fell short and i'll, I'm, I'll tell everybody i'd fell way short on that i just use the i have a uh, I told you I have the PreSonus 32 mm-hmm. AI console. Well, I have the rack version mm-hmm. of that as well. I had prior to that. And I just use the pre's on that. Now, the, th- the thing is, with the full band, everything sounded great, you know. And it wasn't until um, we did the trio where the preamps definitely, you could he- hear... I should have, yeah, better preamps would have been better. Well, what's the stuff? (laughs) I mean, uh, what are the things that you began to notice where you're like, oh, I should have chosen something else? Is it noise floor? Is it something about frequency response? No, the frequency response is great. It was just the the noise floor, the self-noise of the the preamps themselves. Now, with the the ribbon mic, I had to crank the preamps on, on that PreSonus like, all the way up right so at that did you consider that like a cloud lifter or something might have helped out in a situation like that or or some you know something like that yeah lidge after i was done (laughs) 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 yeah i'm telling you man yeah so the the thing is i yeah i just i don't know i just that's how you find out and that that happens yeah that just it happens man like that's the thing like i this is you live and live and learn, yeah, you yeah. know. And so, so with that said, I I have um actually what I'm using right here, I have a Rain um, MS1B, which um, it's a really awesome preamp. 
and uh, super inexpensive, and and uh, people can read up on it. It's it's really cool. They don't come up very often, but if they do, I'd check them out. But anyway, I had one of those, and I re- now I, I have two of them. But after the session, nice. So, <laughs> you cool. know, man, it's it's yes, yeah, live and learn. You know, I, I, with that said, man, like I, I was bugging out on it. I was like, oh man, I wish. Blah, blah, blah. And then I sent it to, around everyone. They're like, oh man, it sounds great. Now the funny thing is, I sent it off to John, and I was like, oh man, I can't believe I'm gonna send this joint to him. You know, he's gonna, he's just gonna tear me up. <laughs> and he hit me back with the emails. Like, oh, it sounds beautiful. I was like, okay, cool. I, I dodged that bullet, you know. <laughs> but he did have, he did have one comment though, which he was like, oh, what did he say, John? I was like, well, next time you may want to use the um, the black version of the microphone or, or black out the microphone because, it, you know, that's why I use the AEA, the black, you know, the, the mm. microphone. It's, you don't see it as much. In so the, it's not about, it's the yeah. one mic sessions, but it's not about the one mic. It's about the musicians. Yeah, um, exactly, yeah. exactly. But then I sent it to another friend, my, my, my boy Langston, you know, from Handsome Audio. And he was like, I told him, he was like, Actually, I like seeing the microphone. So again, it's, yeah. it's you know it's per it's personal. Yeah, it's just preference or whatever. Well, that's but, awesome. Um, that's awesome, man. Yeah, but I would I would say again, man. Like if you're gonna do something like that with a ribbon microphone, like just yeah, just try and get a, a you know use a a better mic pre if you can. But again. Hey man, it, it turned out pretty well, good. Well, so, no worries. Whatever. Well, we're running uh, running low on time, so let me jump forward right. and ask you some of the uh, some of the mixed questions because you know I love hearing that sure. you're using Studio One and I want to know more about that. Um, you are recording using a bunch of the Studio One the Personas um, gear now in your studio. Yes, uh, you're you're recording into the box using also the the Zulu Handsome Audio tape emulator on the way in, but then when you're once you've recorded all this stuff, what does that look like in your process? How are you mixing your records? Man, on the well, um, it's pretty simple. I don't use a lot of, of plugins, honestly, when I'm when I'm mixing. Um, I I pretty much I don't EQ anything. I mean, like very rarely. And if I'm using any kind of EQ, it's it's just like maybe it's like a high pass filter right. on here or there. Cho- choosing but who gets the bottom I, of the record and all that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But uh, again, I, I make a lot of my choices going in. Um, so one of the the tools I love using um, is this thing. It's a plugin that I put on my inputs. It's by um, it's uh, Sonimus. It's the um, their their 1073 plugin. It's like Burnley. Oh, cool. So you can use the um, so with the PreSonus setup, you can commit plugins in the recording stage, but you can commit third-party plugins as well. Exactly, exactly. So that one, what I've done with the with the the seventy three, again, I don't use the EQ on it, but what I really love on it is you can use the um, gain the gain state, either the the line. Uh, gain mm-hmm. or the mic gain. So what I've done, um, I've kind of created these different different presets. So I use the test tone to calibrate the um, the output so that everything's matched output. So if I bring the the gain all the way up to like sixty or whatever it is for uh, you know on, on the mic pre of the that plugin, then I know that I don't have to mess around with the output. It's just set. You know, so I have these different presets for plus fifteen, plus twenty, plus thirty, right, whatever. Right. So I have those on on every channel and and it, with varying degrees of gain. So I know like the drums, I can 
they're just set all they're just hot bam yeah. now not not that the drums are super crunchy but they impart like this really nice tone and then again with bass guitar varying degrees of gain so again once i get to the mix stage that's just one less thing i have to to mess with that's um, cool. I just have the tone I dig. I know the 1073s yeah. are all, have always been a great choice for rock and roll for just about everything, you know. Um I've had I've yeah. had the pleasure of recording with the BCM 10 console before and um yeah. remember we did some 8 track sessions with just that and mixing it back it's just it just sounded so cool even though it was the simplest oh, know, thing man. in the world, you know. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I guess I meant um, the mixing stage is a lot of it for me is is just balancing, is placing things in the in the stereo field and balancing. Um, and what about uh, and, things like uh, delays and reverbs? Um, you know, if it's an instrumental yeah. record, maybe you're getting those sounds on the way in. But what about you know, are you using spring reverbs on drums and and stuff like that? And how does is that does that come from your plugin world, or do you have a way to incorporate the real deal? Uh, both. Um, a lot of it these days, to be honest, are um, in in the plug-in world. Um, I have like a cool like Space Echo, I think it's called Outer Space. Um, uh, and I use that a lot. Um, I'm definitely a big fan of like Echoes and Reverbs. I've, I've kind of um, chilled out on a little bit, although... Yeah, you, yeah, you didn't help, man. I just listened to um, Homeboy talking about the transatlantic. Oh, yeah, it's so good. So, <laughs> I hope he, I hope so, he does a spring uh, reverb next. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure. Yeah, Brian Charles. So I need the, I need the, yeah, yeah, man. So I need the and the fellow Massachusetts cat, yep, you know. Yep. So I need the, I need to check that out. That was one of the things I had on my list for today. Um, but I love, yeah, I love plate reverbs and, and, um, I, I'm a big fan or I have, you know, for a long time, the Valhalla, yep. uh, like, uh, vintage verb in the room, the plate, uh, those are kind of my like, go-tos. Um, yeah, yeah. Very cool. Um, all right. So what about, um, you know, the way that mixing is done in, in studio one, I have not gotten into it as far as, you know, as deep as learning how to do automation or any of those things. Is that part of your process? Is fading in, fading out, uh, easy, challenging? Do you just avoid all that stuff together and just kind of balance the faders and call it done? And and your board, you're mixing with a board where you're actually grabbing some faders to do these balances, or is it all clicking with a mouse? No, man, I I, um, I do all the mixing on my laptop these days um, with no control surface. I have like a a couple ah. of controllers, like like I have like a big mouse with a big wheel, like a ball on it, you know, which is just re it's very comfortable. Um, nice. And yeah, I have another little controller that just you can program like oh go back to this marker or fast forward or you know different functions. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's mostly, yeah, it's just on, on the laptop. The funny thing is, so I, for a long time I was mixing on the console mm -hmm. and, um, when I, the funny thing is, and I'm sure you've, you've experienced this, you, you get a, a young band and it's like, and they're all excited to, you know, track and mix on a console and blah, blah, blah. And then they, you send them all away with the mix. And then two days later, after explaining to them, like, well, it, recall is not, it's not instant recall, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. And then, like, two days later, like, oh, well, can we have, like, the, these background vocals up, blah, blah, and, you know, 
it's like, yeah, man, we can do it. It's going to take a while because I have to like pull up all my recall sheets and this and that. So that kind of started happening more often. I was like, man, let me check out this in the box thing. And then honestly, after like listening to, you know, um, Andrew Sheps, you know, talk about mixing the box and like having, there's like no excuse and this and that. I was like, you know what? Let me just check this out. Let me just do it. And, um, and so I've, I've, in the past, I tried to mix in the box with Pro Tools and Logic. And I was just never, I always felt like there was like, it was like you're listening to the mix behind glass or something. Just didn't like jump out mm. of the speakers for me. And then I met the cats from Personas down in New Orleans. One time I was down there playing Jazz Fest and, and, and then I checked out Studio One. And all of a sudden I was like, I mixed something. And I was like, it jumped out of the speakers. I was like, oh. There it is. Now, with that said, maybe that was just experience, you know, catching up or whatever. Like maybe if I had mixed that same song in Pro Tools, I would have had the same experience. I don't know. I don't. I don't know if it's the software or if it was just I just I just got better. Who knows? But I've just been really happy with yeah, it. Yeah. Well, I, and, I also and, wouldn't doubt yourself. I mean, you're you're an individual who has tried a lot of different mics, and when you find one that works, you're like, that's the mic yeah. for me. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, so I, I, I just really dig it. It's a good cross between Pro Tools and, and Logic. Um, do you, yeah, I've just, do I, you I, use the, pro, yeah, the project feature? Um, like, will you mix five songs and then throw them into the project and kind of, you know, export them out that way and, and swap them out as, as part of your work process or anything? Um, I have used the project um, side of it, um, but generally, like for people, just the, you know, at the end of the mixing process, when I print some, um, you know, bounce a mix or print a mix, whatever you want to call it, I'll just throw like a, um, a ozone, like a max, you know, the maximizer or whatever it is, um, yeah, yeah, on it, just just to bring the level up to so it's you know, you know how it yeah. is these days, man. You send a mix that's not limited out to somebody and they're like, oh man, it's so low. And you know, Sometimes like, you send oh. a mix that's not limited out to yourself and you make the same comment, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, exactly. All right, man, yeah. I just so many fun questions I want to ask you. I'm going to ask you one more related to that um, and then we'll, we'll close out here. But uh, who is Evergroove and why is mastering important? Ooh, man. Okay. So Evergroove is a really good friend of mine. It's Kat, um, Brad Smalling. He's out in uh, in uh, Denver, outside of Denver in Evergreen, Colorado. And uh, I've known Brad for a long time. He's a, he's a fantastic uh, recording engineer, has a really cool uh, studio out there. Um, uh, it's actually a Russ, uh, what's his name? Russ Lachaud. Um, it's like just studio designer. I'm sorry if I butchered his name, but anyway. Um, and, uh, yeah, Brad, um, like many engineers, he has just a great sounding control room. So he got, it was easy for him to transition into mastering. Mm -hmm. And what is mastering? I literally have just had this conversation with, uh, with a band who, um, sent, um, they said, oh, we know somebody who who can master for us. And so they sent this tune to them and, and I listened back to it. I was like, no, that's not it. Yeah. So I sent them to another really good friend of mine who a mastering engineer. And I described mastering to, to, to the leader of the band is this. It's like, it's like, you know, people who restore paintings, like the, I should say this, this one master came back and it was completely different. It was a different mix. 
it was uh, EQ'd all crazy and, and it was louder, but it was also just different. Mm-hmm. I said, well, you know, think about it like if you're restoring a painting, like, you know, if you're going in and restore like this Picasso, I'm like, well, if that's green, like the, someone who's coming in to restore is not going to change that to purple or blue. They're just like restoring it. So it's just like it's crisper, it's brighter, it it's, comes off the canvas. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and, and that's the only way I could uh, analogy I could come up with in, at the moment in terms of mastering. And then, and, and luckily he understood it's like, it's not, you're not trying to change the mix. You're not going to fix it. And, you know, it's, again, we always say, oh, we're going to fix it in the mix. No, you're not going to fix it in the mix. And you're most certainly not going to fix it in mastering, you know? <laughs> so, um, and it's just going to, it's just going to bring out what's wrong with it or what's right with it. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, it's I've been the mastering many times and I've attempted it. It's not my bag, you know. Like I'm, I know I'm not good at it. I would never master anything I've recorded for sure. What what no. sort of speakers and monitors do you use? Um, and um, when you're mixing on your laptop, did you are you switching over to headphones for that process, or do you have? Do you do you mix in the in the one room control room or is it is the laptop jam happening back at the house studio in a different environment? Yeah, the the mixing is on the laptop jam, like in a different environment, usually um, at home. Um, it's just comfortable. Yeah. that's basically it. And it, it, it's a twenty minute drive to the studio, so if I don't have to, then hey, why not? Or unless there's um, a new podcast yeah. episode out. Then you, exactly. Then you well, no, no, you're right about that, dude. No, 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 no. That, that's straight up. That's the truth right there. Um, but so at the studio, I have like these event 2020s, like oh, um, I know. old school. I know. I made many records yeah, on those. Yeah, man. And, and I, they're, and they're the old school. They're like the passive ones. Oh, okay, cool. Um, yeah, yeah, and I just, I don't know, I just dig them, I just know what music sounds like coming out of them, um, and then uh, obviously in the studio when I'm tracking with a band, I'm also on headphones uh, while they're recording, um, just so I can hear what's going what's going to tape, I guess you'd say, um, but yeah, listening back, listening on those, and then yeah, at home, I'm just using the, the Sony... Whatever. Oh, I just seventy five oh sixes, the old school yeah, Sony dude, headphones. Yo, man. Yeah, straight up. I'll that's what, you, that's what Andrew Shep's mix is on. Yeah, that's and that's what exactly I was mixing on after I listened to that podcast. That's great, man. <laughs> like, I'm telling you, man, straight up. I just heard that. I was like, all right, cool. Let me try. I just grabbed those headphones and I grabbed the audio quest or whatever yeah, the it is. Red the red dragonfly, is that it? Yeah, yeah, the dragon the dragonfly thing. And I was like, Yeah, this actually works. And you know, Man. I don't know. It, it it works, man. No no mastering engineer has told me any. There's like the funny thing is I've sent I I was doing mixes like on the console and all this kind of stuff with the speakers, and then I didn't tell anybody I switched. Nobody. Then next album I just sent out to mastering. I'm like man, sounds great. And I was waiting for like I was just waiting for that for shoe something. to drop. Yeah, yeah, like, oh, dude, like, sounds different, or you, then blah, 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 the low end or mid range, whatever. And nobody said anything. I was like, cool, all right, yeah, I'm that's great, man. All right, so now here's a question pertaining to that: When you go from control room to laptop, what about your plugins? Is there some? Is that easy to get the plugins from one place to another? Is that a problem that even needs to be solved? No, because I'm using the same exact computer. Okay, I'm, dig it. Like, all right, cool. 
Yeah, man. So the, the funny thing is I, I, for a while I had like the Mac tower, not the trash can, but I had uh, the last generation of the, you know, the, yeah, that's what I got. The, the Mac Pro. Yeah. Exactly. So man, one day I was in the studio with a band or the band was about to show up. I hadn't been in the studio in a few weeks. I showed up, you know, a couple hours early to get, or an hour early to get ready, went to go turn on the Mac and nothing, there was nothing. I was like, wait, did, and unplugged or something fused out. I don't know what, dude, the thing was dead. <sighs> and the band is showing up. I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding me. Luckily, I had my laptop there, which I never, I never purchased in, you know, with the intention of using it for tracking. Man, I just like went around town, got the right, you know, cables, because of course, it's like the new laptop with the, just the USB-C, mm. you know, ports or whatever side so to convert, whatever. Been using it ever since, man. Now, the beautiful thing I like about using the laptop in the studio is like I have it set. I built like this, I built this custom console for the personas. And so off to the side, I made a space where I could just have the laptop kind of down. And whereas before I had two big, you know, um, computer monitors, one on the wall, one on this rack. And all you could see was like the, you know, Studio One or Pro Tools going now it's like this little laptop's down there, tucked away. You don't see it. And it's just, I don't know, it's pleasing to yeah. me. Again, it's just me trying to get rid of the gear. Yeah, you're just listening. You know, that, yeah, just listening, man. Exactly. Cool. All right, man. Well, I hate to bring this to an end. Um, I do have two other interviews to do today alone, and I'm excited yeah, about it. So, uh, but um, I want to jump to the next question, which is... Um, we're going to take the the Wayback Studio machine and you're going to go find young Alan who's, uh, you know, he, I don't know what you're beating drums on when you were nine months old. No, I guess we can't go back that far because you wouldn't be able to answer the question. But you're going to go back and give yourself advice. And you're going to say, look, dude, here's the single most important thing you need to know to be a rock star of the studio yourself one day. What would you go back and tell yourself if you could? Mm. All right, man. Well, actually, you know what? I'm going to answer this in two parts, if you don't mind, because it's, it's all one. It's I, all don't, one but... I don't mind. All right. So one, I'd say um, don't let a perceived lack, don't let the perceived lack of gear, resources, or knowledge um, prevent you from creating art. Nice. Um, and then and then beyond that, you know, I say, I say this to a lot of people, and I'd say this to myself, be passionately true to yourself. Um, in your artistic vision. And, and, and with that said, surround yourself with other artists, other people who are equally as passionate. And, and, and the most important thing is learn from each other and support one another. Mm-hmm. All, the, all the, the gear and, the, and the, the knowledge and the resources, all that will come. But you have to just, you have to start going back to the, my, you know, the initial unquote. Um, just like get up, get off of your ass and just do it. Everything like, don't worry about, oh, I need this mic or I need this and this and that. Man, there's there's been people who've done a lot more with a lot less. Mm-hmm. So just there's no excuses. Just get off, get just do it. Just do yeah, it. Yeah, good advice, man. I I need to give myself that advice all the time. Yeah, I mean, me too, man. You know, that's you know that that's the truth, but. Yeah, there you go. Well, man, thank you so much for being on Recording Studio Rockstars with us. I feel like we just scratched the surface, so maybe we'll have to do a round two later on. 
And I, I, I can't wait to come out to Deerfield, Mass, and come visit your studio and see what see what that jam's all about, and hear whatever your next record is, man. Right on. Let's do it, man. I'm I'm always down. Uh, if you come down to Nashville too, come come to the Toy man. Box Studio. I'm in. I'm I don't in. have a um, Zulu handsome audio, but I do have a real 16 track tape machine. We could try out. <laughs> we can do something with that, man. Hey. All right. Um, tell the rock stars how they can find you online and follow you and listen to your jams. I know your Instagram is also well worth uh, hooking up with. Oh, cool, man. Yeah. So uh, uh, website uh, is ironwax.com. And then on uh, Instagram, you can find me, uh, I guess maybe if you just uh, search Alan Evans or uh, hash, um, uh, Instagram slash play on brother. All one word. Dig it, dig so, it. Alan, A L A N. Same, yes, same spelling as my dad's name. All oh, right, on, man. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm one of those Alan. That's right. <laughs> All right, dude. Thanks so much for joining us, and I can't wait to meet you in person. Yeah, same here, brother. Right, talk soon. Cheers. All right. Thanks so much for listening to Recording Studio Rockstars. If you enjoyed the show and want to help make it better, then please share this episode with your friends on social media and leave a rating and review on iTunes to help the podcast reach more rock stars like yourself. You can click directly over to iTunes or go to rsrockstars.com slash review for an easy explanation. Also, remember to hit the subscribe button to keep up with these weekly episodes. And if you're ready to make your best record ever, then head over to Recording Studio Rockstars Academy, where you can start with my free mixing course at mixmasterbundle.com look for the link in the show notes and if you want more free content from recording studio rockstars all you have to do is go to rsrockstars.com slash email again that's rsrockstars.com slash email to enter your name and email and i'll keep you in the loop with articles videos podcast updates and even free gear giveaways for your studio all totally free thanks for listening and thanks for being a rock star i'm lid shaw and this is Recording Studio Rockstars. Now, go make great music.